Amen. Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a joy it is this morning to come together and the joy once again to see new faces. Um, I'd like to welcome Dimakato and uh, not so new faces. <laughs> Carmen, I know, we know Carmen. Um, she, she comes once in a while and her husband, right? So, I don't <laughs> husband, uh, Francois, welcome. Uh, be with us. We are a, a, a community, a church that seeks to glorify God. Um, we seek to, to, to grow in Christ. We seek to, um, to, 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 to establish the church of God and to even um, take the word out there, reach out to, to unbelievers. And, and this is why we exist as a church. Um, it, it is my joy um, to stand here and declare the word to you this morning. Um, we continue with our series on Philippians. We've been going through Philippians for a couple of weeks now. We have gone through the whole chapter, the first chapter, chapter one, um, and now we come into chapter two um, as we progress in our series, Philippians, um, Life in Christ. And today we're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter two, verse one to four. Philippians chapter two, verse one to four. And um, our title for today is a united community, a united community. Last week we looked at a gospel-shaped community, uh, looking at chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. Today we look at a united community from chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. And let me read from the Word of God so we can continue to, together. I read from the ESV. This is God's Word. Let us hear Him. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and, and of the same of the and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. As we come to you, we think about the song that we just sung, Bind Us Together, Lord with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, with love. Pray that you draw our hearts to you as we hear your word today, that it will be to us uh, something that draws us to yourself, to know you, to know your will, and to honor you and glorify you with our lives. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. An Amharic uh, proverb from Ethiopia captures beautifully the, the power of unity. It says, threats united can tie even a lion. Threats united can tie even a lion. The idea is that there is strength in unity, or as it is com commonly said, there is strength in numbers. 
the, the reason these threads can tie even a lion is because they are united to make one strong thread that cannot be broken. By themselves, they have no power. Or to rephrase the proverb, uh, by way of negation, we can say this. We can say, threads divided can be easily broken, even by a weak dog. This, this is also true of the church. In order for the local church to, to strive from strength to strength, to, to progress as a gospel-shaped community, it needs to be a united body. But if it is characterized by division, there is no way it can stand. Disunity, listen to this, disunity cracks the foundation of the local church and collapse is soon to follow. And most probably when, when the church in Philippi um, sent their pastor Epaphroditus to, to Paul, hearing that Paul is in prison, setting, sending their pastor to take care of the needs of, 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 of Paul in prison. When he arrived, most probably he relayed to, to Paul the situation in Philippi. He, he told Paul about the external pressures that the church was facing. Last week, we saw the external pressures, right? That uh, persecutors, um, those who were, who, who were, Paul calls them opponents, were, were, were persecuting the church. And Paul says, in this situation, when you are facing all all these external pressures, you are to be united. You must be a gospel-shaped community that is characterized by unity. And again, uh, as, as Epaphroditus uh, relays to, to Paul the situation in Philippi, he also relays to him the internal pressures. The internal pressures in the church that the church was facing. The church uh, had a challenge of experience that, that was, that was uh, disunity. They were experiencing disunity in the church. And Paul touches in detail as he addresses, when, when, we, when you look at chapter 4, um, he addresses the issue of Syntyche and Yudia, who are also uh, uh, divided, who are also in conflict with one another. Paul is addressing these issues. And in chapter 4, he addresses specifically two church members. And he calls the church to help these two members reconcile in Christ. And, and here in chapter 2, Paul calls the church to, to unity as well, to be a united community. And basically here, Paul says that for unity in the local church to thrive, it must be fueled by humility. Did you hear that? Unity is fueled by humility in the local church. And to summarize what I just said, in chapter 1, verse 27 to 30, Paul encourages the church to be united even in the midst of pressures against, the, uh, uh, against them that are external. And in chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, he deals with internal issues that threaten the unity of the church. So as we look at this passage, we look at these verses, we see three things that promote unity in the church. Three things that promote unity in the church. First, no, no, two, two, I'm sorry. Two things that promote unity in the church. One, we see the motivation for unity. And secondly, we see the expression of 
unity. The motivation for unity, we see that in verse 1. Look at verse 1. So Paul comes and says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. So verse 1 serves as a foundation for what Paul is about to say in chapter 2, in, in, in verses 2 to verse 4. Paul gives a very important spiritual principle in this section. He, he gives first the gospel facts about believers, what, what believers are. And he goes on to, to explain what they are to do in verses 2 to 4. So this principle is this. Paul is saying there must be, there must be before there is fruit, there must be a real identity. You must be a Christian before you have fruit, right? The, the fruits don't mean that God saves us by looking at our fruits, right? God saves us and we bear fruits. So this is what Paul, this is the principle that Paul is pulling um, here and, and showing them to, to, to this people. And, and, and I want you to note here that he mentions four motivations. And these motivations are each preceded by the clause, if. And now, when, 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 when you look at uh, Greek grammar... Um, as, as we were studying Greek grammar, when um, the word if is not necessarily um, always meaning that something can, can exist or cannot exist. There are different clauses, and, and this is what we call a first-class conditional clause. It, it, it can also be translated as since. So Paul is speaking about the reality. It is not certainty. It is not possibilities, but it is certainties. It is something that is certain among them as Christians. Do we get it? It's a, it's a first-class conditional clause. And it is translated since. So we can read it like this. So since there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. So these things that Paul is about to mention are, are for the result. He says, I, I, I want to be joyful when I see fruits in your lives. In, in other words, Paul is saying, I, I have been joyful. You saw chapter 1, right? Paul keeps talking about his joy, his joy uh, as he, he, he refers to the Philippians. And now he's saying, fill my cup of joy even more. Fill it to the brim. When I see these fruits, I want to see my joy being filled to the brim. Let us consider each of these in, in, in detail, just briefly. First, he says, since there is any encouragement in Christ. The, the, the word encouragement um, means to come alongside and, and, and to support and help. And Paul here speaks about encouragement that believers have in Christ. Like he says, since there is in, any encouragement in Christ, right? So he talks about the encouragement in Christ. And, and, and when you look at the testimony of Scripture, we find in Luke chapter 25, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, it tells us a story of a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, an old man waiting for Christ. And the Bible says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The, the consolation of Israel being Christ himself. By this, Paul is reminding them of the blessed encouragement they find in Christ when they are in distress. They run to him for consolation. 
They run to him because he is the savior who justifies. In other words, who makes them right with God. And not only that, but he is the savior who sanctifies, who, who continues to cleanse them daily in their Christian walk. This is the encouragement they, they, they mutually find in Christ. William Buckley wisely says this. He says the fact that we are all in Christ should keep us in unity. No man can walk in disunity with his fellow man and in unity with Christ. He says it, it's impossible. You cannot walk in unity with Christ and be in disunity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? It, 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 is, it is not possible. If he has Christ as a companion of his way, he is invariably the companion of his walker. If you are a companion with Christ as you walk this Christian journey, you are the companion of the person who walks alongside you in the same journey. A man's relationship with his fellow men are not, are not a bad indication of his relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, he says, if there is any comfort if, if there's any encouragement in Christ, he goes on to say, any comfort from love. Any comfort from love. The, the word comfort means alleviation of suffering and misery. He says, if you are mutually experiencing this. John MacArthur says about this word, he says it portrays the Lord coming close and, and whispering words of gentle cheer and tender counsel in a believer's ear. The Lord coming close, God with us, Emmanuel, the comforter himself. He says, if we find comfort in Christ, in the love that we find in Christ together, then unity will be the result of our meeting. Uh, knowing that Christ lavishes his love on us should give us a great comfort and security because he will never abandon, abandon us as he promised in, 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 in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, right? Saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Christ promised and we find this comfort from his love. Paul here wants them wants to show them the divine love that reached down and saved them. And knowing this reality of this divine love should urge us to, to live with one another in a spirit of unity. In, in addition to that, Divine love produced in the hearts of Christians, in our hearts as saints, by, is, 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 by, by the Holy Spirit. It should cause us to, to love each other with a love that, that, compels our, uh, that compels you to sacrifice yourself for the love of another. In other words, our differences should be ironed out. Right? Our differences should be ironed out. And, and, and they will live in unity with one another. If that is the case, then we will live in unity with one another. He goes on to say, any participation in the spirit. Any participation in the spirit. The, 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 the word participation can also be translated fellowship. Fellowship. So he says, any fellowship in the spirit. The word fellowship is translated from the Greek word koinonia. Quenonia. And, 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 and this is not just coffee and tea and, and biscuits after church, right? It is not only that. Although that is a part of fellowship, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond just having tea and biscuits and just go home and just see people on Sunday, right? Again, Sunday, just Sunday. 
It goes beyond that. It's a deeper fellowship with one another. It is an intimate, it's an intimate partnership, a, a common eternal life, a joint participation with common interest and, 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 and mutual active participation. We have this participation among us, participation in the gospel, participation in the progress of the gospel. We want to see God honored in our midst. This dynamic is, is affected, is affected by the Holy Spirit working and through individual saints in the body of Christ. As God works in us, these are things that will be displayed. And knowing that we, we have immediate access to God gives us confidence that he will always be available for us. As Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, let us, with, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not only that, does he say any participation in the spirit, he goes on to say any affection and sympathy. Any affection and sympathy. He says there must be affection and sympathy in our lives. The word sympathy literally refers to feeling something in your gut, to, to be moved in your intestines. If you want it, if you want to translate it like that, when you look at it. MacArthur writes that the, the Hebrews, the, the Jews, uh, since Hebrew was their language, the, the, the Hebrews expressed emotion in terms of physical, physiological symptoms, not, not in abstractions. And, and recognizing that Christ is, is compassionate toward us should fill us with the same kind of compassion and tenderness toward those, toward others. As, as, as Colossians chapter, chapter 3, verse 12 states, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on this compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul had this kind of feeling in mind when he spoke to the Philippians. Remember in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, he says to them, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I wonder if maybe you were to leave the fellowship of believers and you were to go away to a place and you had opportunity to write us a letter, what would you say? Would you say, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. I, I miss you because I love you. I miss the fellowship of believers. Will that be what is in your heart? Paul says, these things are to be evident in your lives. He, enumer he enumerates these motivations sh showing that uh, as Christians, this must be a reality. They, they, they have received these blessings. And this is similar to what Peter says to in Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3. He says his divine power is talking about Christ. Christ's divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Christ has granted us all these things that pertain to life and godliness. Logically, it follows that if these things, if, 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 uh, if encouragement in Christ is there, if comfort from love is there, if 
participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy are, are there, logically it follows that we should also grant grace to others and, and do, do whatever it takes to promote peace and, and embrace unity in our midst. And this leads us to our second point, the expression of unity. We see the motivation, now the expression of unity. Chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, the expression of unity. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and, and of, the, of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Here, in these three verses, Paul deals with the fact of how unity is to be expressed in a community of believers. This church, the, the church that Christ purchased with his blood. In, in verse 3, he, explain, he explains by using only positive words. In verse 3, and, and, and in verse 2, I mean, in verse 3, he goes on to, 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 to speak against a negative attitude and then countering it with a positive attitude. And he does the same thing in verse 4. Let us look at that briefly. Verse 2, he calls them to be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is a call to unity. He uses the, pre, the, 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 the present tense here. Um, which gives us the idea that it must be an attitude that is habitual. It must be a habitual mindset. It must be continual in their lives. They must continually live in unity with one another, in, in oneness of mind, in, in the common cause, in, 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 the, in a common purpose, in a, in a common love. This must be displayed in their lives continually. And, and this idea of being of the same mind having the same love and, and being in full accord and of one mind is believing the same gospel, following the same Lord and having the same goal. What is that goal? The glory of God, right? Whatever you do, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for what? For the glory of God. That is our goal as we come together. In other words, being in tune together. I love that word. Being in tune together. Think briefly with me about two pianos. The pianos. In order for a piano to play well, to, to have the nice tune, it must be tuned, right? It must be tuned. And it is said that uh, by, by these professionals who do tune pianos, that you cannot tune one piano by another piano. It's, it's, it's impossible to tune one piano by another piano. One piano cannot tune another piano. But in order to tune a piano, you must get a tuning fork, right? You must get a tuning fork and, uh, and, and, and tune both pianos to the tuning fork. That they, these two pianos must tune to one tuning fork and they, they can play in harmony together. My point is this. 
because these two pianos, when they are tuned to the same tuning fork, they are automatically tuned together, right? This is my point. When you are in tune with Jesus, and I am in tune with Jesus, then automatically we will be in tune together. Do we understand that? I mean, that's what must happen when, when we come together, when we pray together. We are seeking God together. We are in tune together. We are connected to Christ, right? Christ is our tuning fork. And, and, and when we play, we play in harmony. We are a symphony. A, a symphony is a sound that plays in harmony, not a cacophony. A cacophony is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a sound that plays out of tune. This is what we must be as a church. This is what we must, this, this what must be evident in our lives when we talk about unity. Paul goes on to explain in detail what this must look like in verse 3. First, he, he, he speaks against a negative attitude. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. You see, the biggest killer of unity is when you see other people as rivals to compete with rather than partners to work with, to work alongside. It is possible to ruin a good act, to ruin a good thing by an evil motive. That is possible. The question is, why do you do what you do? Why do you serve the way you do here in church? What is your reason? Is it because you want to show that you are better than other people? You know, sometimes, and this is what I used to see when, when I was a pastor um, in Nailstrom. Sometimes people refrain from doing anything. And not because they are humbly delegating, right? Not because they are humbly delegating or humbly letting other people do things. The reason they, they refrain from doing anything, they want things to fall apart so that you, you can see that you cannot do anything without me. You need me. I'm indispensable. You cannot survive without me. Paul says, this is rivalry. This is conceit. The, the word rivalry can also be translated as selfishness, which is an immoderate self-love. Causing, causing one for the sake of personal gratification or advantage to disregard the rights and, and feelings of other people. And the word conceit is, is, a, is a highly exaggerated self-view. You view yourself with a mirror from a circus. You know circus mirrors? They show you what you are not, right? You see yourself as something big, as something better, something high, a, a, a highly exaggerated view of yourself. And Paul says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Then he offers the right attitude in place of this one. He says, but in humility, count others more significant than you. Count others more significant than you. See others as more important. Seek to serve. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do? 
Mark chapter 10, verse, verse 45. It's verse 45, I believe. It says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and, and give his life as a ransom for many. In John chapter 3, we see the Son of Man stooping low, washing the feet of his disciples. Even Peter saw that, that the Lord cannot do this. Lord, you will not wash my feet. But the Lord insisted. In Christ, there is no one who is higher than the other. Even the men of God, right? There's no one who is higher than the other. We are all saved in Christ, right? We're all saved by the same salvation the same grace. We have all experienced the same love, the same participation in the Holy Spirit, right? We, we are indwelled by the same Spirit. We have one Lord. We have one God. Edwards uh, observed this. He says, true humility is not putting ourselves down, but rather lifting others up. If, if, if we concentrate on lifting others, putting down ourselves will, will take care of itself. As we go through life exalting Christ and others, then, then genuine humility will be inevitable. If we exalt ourselves, then God will take care of our humiliation, for he promises to humble the proud. God is against the proud. It is much less painful when we do it the first way, right? Here's an acronym that has been very helpful to me. J-O-Y. I know some of you might know it. Jesus, others, yourself. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. J-O-Y. When you serve in the church, think about that. Put it in your mind. Uh, 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 engrave it in your mind and say J-O-Y. Jesus others yourself in verse 4 he he again presses this point by looking at it by looking at it from from another angle first he speaks against the negative saying let each of you look not to his own interest paul desires that as christians we will manifest a unity in our midst um, but, but for this to be the case we must put off old garment of selfishness we must put off personal vanity pride and and self-interest paul knows that a, a preoccupation with oneself is a sin which will destroy the unity of the body when you want to destroy the body be selfish that is why he offers the positive attitude to combat the self-interest. He says, but also look to the interest of others. And I want you to realize that Paul is fair here. Okay, it's here. Paul is very fair. Look at what he says. He says, let each of you look not only, if you have done grammar in school, not only, in other words, he's saying you can also look at your own interest. Right? It's, it's fair here. But he says, you must also do what? Look to the interest of others. Don't be so self-centered, so self-focused. 
the, the meaning of this passage can be illustrated by, by one of Jesus' famous parables, right? F- famous stories. The, the, the story of the Samaritan in Luke chapter uh, 10, verse 30 and following. And this is a story of an unfortunate traveler who, who was marked on the road between Jericho and, and Jerusalem. Thieves came and, and beat him. They took his money. They left him lying in the ditch. And in various degree, when we look at the story, each one of us is represented by the three groups of people in the story. There were the crooks whose attitude when they saw the man was, I'll take from you. What's yours is mine. I'll take it. And again, there were the hardened and uncaring religious leaders whose attitude was this, I'll keep from you. What's mine is mine. I'll keep it. Again, there was another one. And Jesus says about him that we are to take him as an example. The the caring Samaritan whose attitude was, I'll give to you. What's mine is yours. I'll share it. It is the caring Samaritan who teaches us the meaning of of looking beyond ourselves, of of looking past our own interest and and importance to truly see and respond to the needs and, and worth and interest of others. Look not only to your own interest, but look to the interest of others as well. The question as I close, why is unity important? Why is unity important? Simple. Because unity was important to Christ. And if it is important to Jesus Christ, it must be important to us as his disciples. To desire unity for the church is to desire to reflect the heart of Christ for the church. Jesus in John chapter 7, chapter 17, prayed for unity four times for his disciples. And clearly emphasizing the importance uh, our Lord had placed in unity. Jesus asked his father saying in John chapter 17 verse, 7, verse 11 saying keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one. Listen to these words that they may be one even as we are one. Again he goes on to pray for his disciples saying to the father in verse 21 and 23 that they may all be one just as you Father, I in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Why is is unity important? You can read those words again. They may be one. They may be perfectly one. It was the desire of Christ that his church would be a united community. In Jesus' name, amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that you are revealing to us 
that what we must be as a church and how we must conduct ourselves before you and to the world. You call us again in John chapter 13, verse 35, saying, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We pray, Father, that your love will be cultivated in our heart and in our midst, that you will be glorified. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.